Welcome back, everyone, to Cross to Crown, the podcast, the episode 87. I know that is correct. <laughs> For fact, that is correct. 97, I'm kidding. 97, episode 97. Uh, which is exciting. We're three away from 100. And for the 100th uh, episode, Doug and I will be wearing hats. So that'll be fun. Uh, Doug, we had a really good response to last week's on 8070 and the theological significance. Is there? Is there not? I thought it was a really good topic. Uh, we laid out a few books if people want to go um, do some more research on their own. And that 8070, I thought this was a good point, doesn't necessarily mean. Uh, how you have to interpret revelation. So I thought that was good. And we're going to kind of tie some of all that together today. You brought up Daniel, uh, is it seven or nine, nine, uh, mm-hmm. nine uh, yesterday or last week, a good bit. And then um, also uh, the Olivet discourse. And what does it mean by this generation, etc. So let's keep talking about it. Daniel nine, um, as anyone knows, the first seven chapters or so of Daniel is historical narrative. It's a story. And then it gets into prophecy and things like that. Um, we see kind of Daniel propped up as the little Adam or the kind of the shadow and type of Christ and, and those things. And then we get into the prophecy part of things. And I have heard this said over and over again. You can't understand Revelation without understanding Daniel. Is that true? Do you think that's true? And and why is that often said? Yeah, Daniel and Zechariah, and in fact, I would say even all Ezekiel, the prophets. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because Revelation, though it hardly ever quotes the Old Testament, it alludes to the Old Testament in almost every verse. Hmm. Uh, so, for from Daniel, for instance, one of the key statements is about Babylon. Well, when John sees the vision in Revelation, Babylon is long history, right? It's been destroyed and demolished. It is no longer a superpower. Mm -hmm. But uh, the book of Revelation speaks a lot about Babylon. And depending on your view of things and the timing of the writing of Revelation, all of that, uh, Babylon might be Israel. That fits very well with a pre-70 AD uh, writing of, of Revelation. Uh, or it could be the world system against the church if you're a post-70 AD authorship situation. Either way, Babylon figures in heavily. And so you've got to go back and say, what role did Babylon play in the Old Testament, and in particular in the book of Daniel, to understand why the, the John sees and uses the term Babylon? Okay. And why Daniel 9, then? Why the, you know, Daniel has all the important things. We see the pebble knocking over the multi-layered statue, etc., things like that. Um, there's some interpretation about what that means. Is the pebble Christ? Is the pebble, what is it? So how do we uh, it, take Daniel to not just mean a prophecy that is fulfilled in Christ, but a prophecy that, um, you know, is talking about the phrase, what, end times or whatever, if you will, uh, the, the age to come. So how do we, how do we look into Daniel and see that? Well, again, double we, fulfillment, right? You, I know you don't necessarily like that term sometimes, but double fulfillment, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, Daniel is just so rich with those visions uh, that, that he saw. And in some cases, we are given the interpretation. Uh, Gabriel t- says, this is what it means. Uh, or God reveals to Daniel, this is what it means. Um, so again, it's a huge topic. And mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to discuss Revelation in no. detail here. But Daniel 9, the 70 weeks plays in specifically to what we talked about last week, the Olivet Discourse, uh, the role of 70 AD in in redemptive history, that kind of thing. 
And it's where there's a huge debate and divide between us and New Covenant theology and dispensationalism. And I would say, and this would be one of those categories that we would partner, we would agree with covenant theology, mostly on the interpretation of mm-hmm. Daniel 9, and the uh, the dispensationalists would be on a totally different uh, tangent than we are. So Daniel 9, the 70 weeks starts in verse 20, goes through verse 27. So that's eight verses of uh, pretty significant theology, if you will, but up for great interpretation. So yes. do you want to read it? So we can. Yes. Let uh, me yeah. give a little bit of a background. Yeah. So this is uh, uh, the dating wise. We know that Jerusalem fell in around 586. Some would say 585 BC to Babylon. Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar sacked uh, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also know that God said this exile or this. Uh, yeah, this exile would last for 70 years and then he would bring people back to Jerusalem. So Daniel is reading the prophet Jeremiah. And he starts doing the math and he realizes that 70 years is about up. (laughs) And so he knows God has promised to bring the people back to Jerusalem. And so he starts praying to that end, which side note, this is a great, uh, great passage for us to consider the sovereignty of God and prayer. God's already said, I'm going to do it. And Daniel gets on his face and confesses the sin of the people and says, Lord, bring us back. Do what you said you would do. So Gabriel is sent to uh, answer Daniel's prayer. And another fascinating aspect of this is, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's doing battle with the Prince of Persia and is delayed in getting to Daniel. Anyway, that's all backdrop. (laughs) Um, Let's just, uh, we'll pick up in verse 20, as you said. Now, while I was speaking and praying, this is Daniel, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instructions and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So Daniel had a vision, and now Gabriel said, I was sent to give you understanding. You're to know some things. Later on, he sees another vision, has another prophecy, and he's told it's not for you to understand the fulfillment of all of this. But this one he has to understand. And by the way, uh, that verse in uh, 20, um, we want to make sure people know we have talked about whether or not that verse applies to now for corporate sin or having to repent mm. of the sins of the past and other be responsible for things of others. We've addressed that in previous podcasts. So I just right. wanted to clarify, go ahead. Good. All right. So here, these next few verses uh, are the big, big debate between mm. us and dispensationalists. So uh, I will read it and then we'll come back and walk our way through it. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. The people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, 
But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Hmm. Now, uh, I'm going to walk through this at a fairly high level uh, because it's so easy to get caught up in the weeds. I want to I want to see if I can communicate the big picture and help us see how this is fulfilled in the Olivet Discourse and Jesus picks up these themes. So first of all, back in 24, he says 70 weeks have been decreed. Almost everybody on all sides of this debate, almost everybody agrees that instead of weeks, what he means is seven-year period. Um, it's literally in the Hebrew, it's 70 sevens. Mm. So uh, often that seven means a week, seven day period, but almost everybody agrees. Even the dispensationalists who would disagree with my interpretation here, uh, would agree that it means 77 year periods. So 77 year periods is how many years? 70 sevens. I don't know. What is that? Seven years. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to do the math. Are we 70 times seven, seven is, is 490. 490. Right. Right. Um, which also raises a fascinating question. Remember when Peter asked Jesus, right? How many times yeah. should we forgive? And Jesus' answer is 70 times seven. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to ask the question. So what I'm going to argue. Wait a minute, you're uh, one of those people that when they bring brought out the number of fish, that the three meant the Trinity and the five meant the <laughs> whatever. You're not one of those. No, okay. but I, I do wonder if there's a tie-in here okay. of God is going to, in my interpretation, as we'll see, God is going to finish his judgment on Israel. Like he mm. has forgiven them and extended that forgiveness for another 490 years. But there is a point in which he will bring the curses of the covenant down on them and he will no longer forgive them. I don't know. It's fascinating that Jesus uses that same number yep. uh, system 70 times seven. Can't prove it. Just interesting. To think no. about. Okay. So 70 weeks, 77 year periods is what he's talking about. So seven, 490 years. And again, go back to the timeline. If Jerusalem was sacked in 586, seven years later is 516. Mm-hmm. And we don't know which decree, you know, there were, Cyrus is the one who gives the decree to send the uh, Jews back. And God had predicted through Isaiah, this would happen. You know, so if you, if you figure in 25 years there of repeated, whatever, it, so it doesn't work out for those who love exactness. Uh, 490 is not 516, right. but it's sure very close. Mm-hmm. So for my money, uh, I, I think it's pretty cool. All right. 77 have been decreed for your people. That's key. He's talking to Daniel. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel. For your people, the Jews, 77 have been decreed. And for your holy city. Right? So you are going to, uh, something's going to happen to your people and your holy city at the end of that 77s, or yeah, 77s. Mm-hmm. And he, he tells us what it is. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal out vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. All of those sound like Jesus to me, right? To mm-hmm. um, finish transgression, that finish it in the sense everlasting of everlasting righteousness. It. Yeah, exactly. And uh, sealing a pro- vision of prophecy being the one that all that appointed to and uh, atonement for iniquity. What could be clearer than that? The interesting one is uh, the end of verse 24 to anoint the most holy. Now my Bible has in italics to anoint the most holy place. That's what my, has, yeah. 
Are you, what does that? CSP? I have the CSP. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be, so that italics means that place is not in the text, right? Mm-hmm. It just says the most holy. So it could be the most holy place and it could be Jesus entering the temple. That would be one way that that's fulfilled, but it also could mean the most holy one, meaning the anointed one, the Messiah. So either way, Jesus is, uh, is the fulfillment of that. So that's, what's going to happen at the end of the 77s. Jesus is going to come. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to do these six things. So you are to know, Daniel, I want you to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again. Jerusalem will be built again with plaza moat, even in times of distress. We certainly know about the times of distress. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they had all kinds of obstacles for years over and over again, Mm -hmm. all of that. So notice he says it will be built in six years and uh, I lost my place here. Seven weeks and 62 weeks. Uh, Seven weeks, 62. How many is 62 plus seven? 69 weeks. 69. So something's going to happen at the end of those 69 weeks. Verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, which is really the end of the 69 weeks, because we've already had the first seven. This gets very confusing. (laughs) right? So you got the seven and then you've got the 62, which equals 69. So when verse 26, when he says after the 62 weeks, that is after the 69th week, because we've already had the seven, right? Makes sense. I stress this because I've taught this one time and Mm -hmm. people fought me tooth and nail saying, no, he says after the 62 weeks. Yes, but he already said the first seven occurred. So it's Mm -hmm. after the 69th, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Sounds like the cross to me. Right. Now, here's where the uh, the division of interpretation comes. The next phrase, and the people of the prince who is to come. We'll come back to discuss what that means in a minute. But here's what the prince who is to come is going to do. He's going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. This one who's coming is going to destroy Jerusalem. So imagine you're Daniel and you're waiting. You've been waiting all this time for the rebuilding of Jerusalem, because God Mm -hmm. said it's going to happen. And the temple, all right, we're going to be relieved of exile. We're going to come back home. It's going to be great. And Gabriel shows up and says, yes, but in 490 years, somebody's going to come and destroy it again. Mm. You can destroy the city, you can destroy the sanctuary, the holy place, the, the temple. And its end will come with a flood. It's going to be a complete collapse. Even to the end, there'll be war. It's going to be a violent destruction. Mm-hmm. Desolations are determined. Do you know what it means to be desolate? Yeah. Um, it's kind of uh, alone and, and kind of you've been cast out, those kind of things. And it's empty. Yeah. So it's going to be a total yeah, destruction. Yeah, yes, like- exactly. Total destruction of the city, of the temple. No one's mm-hmm. going to be living there. Uh, there'll be some some jackals running around, but it, yeah, a lot of desolate places here in Arizona. I got to tell you. <laughs> so you do know desolation yes, very well. Yes. Desolations are determined. That word desolation is, we saw it last week in, mm-hmm. uh, in Matthew. It's going to be important today too. Desolations are determined. He'll make a firm covenant with one me from when he, with me for one week. We'll <laughs> come back to that in a minute. But in the middle of the week, he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations, will be one who makes desolate, there's the word again, even until a complete destruction 
one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Mm -hmm. So desolate three times is used there. Complete destruction over and over again. He uses different terms to say this is going to be a wipeout of the city and the sanctuary. So the great division and debate between us and dispensationalism is dispensationalism says this didn't happen yet. They would say that there is a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. Hmm. So the 70, this is where they get the seven-year tribulation from this passage. It's the only place that mentions seven years. Seven-year tribulation, and their view is that Jesus came to present himself as the Messiah King for Israel. The Jews rejected him, of course, put him on the cross. And so God took him up to heaven and turned his attention to the Gentiles. And that's basically plan B. If the Jews had accepted Christ as a Messiah, then he would have fulfilled all of his purposes for Israel, but they didn't. They rejected him. So the, the Jesus is taken away. God turns his attention to the Gentiles. And at some point, uh, God is going to rapture the church, take us off the, off the planet, and the Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years, based on what I just read, and it's going to be awful for the Jews. There's going to be all kinds of persecution and such. And then finally the end will come. And this Daniel's 70th week, that's that seven year period. We are still waiting for that last one. And that's the seven year tribulation. It's for the Jews because the church is gone. Mm. That's the left behind series. That's dispensationalism. That's very, very popular in our day. I just think it's completely mistaken based on what's in this text. There is no gap in this text for that 70th week. So from a church history standpoint, um, help me understand, because for those who may not know, dispensationalism is, I know, New Covenant Theology saying something's new, but it's something kind of new, um, 1800s maybe, uh, when it came about. So this wasn't a common view for 1700 years of church history, uh, if you will. So what brought this on? And then there are those who are even uh, soteriologically reformed who hold to this view. John MacArthur, he calls himself a leaky dispensationalist because he believes there's a place for the future of Israel. Um, I think he's trying to toe the line, but that's just me. Uh, how did this come about? Uh, all of a sudden, boom. And now, especially in America and in, um, uh, we had a missionary from Ghana, Africa. Man, he was all into this, right? Like, oh, Dan, you got to read Daniel. It's in there. It's right. So how did this just take hold, if you will? Yeah, you're right. So is it the mid to late 1800s? It was in a prayer meeting and uh, a woman had a vision that sparked what we now know as dispensationalism. And it began to pick up some steam. You know, it was a turn of a century coming and preoccupation with the return of Christ always creeps in at the turn of the century. Remember Y2K, and huh? It, yeah. Exactly. And there was a turn of a millennium, so it was right. even crazier. Um, and so as the uh, turn of the century came, it picked up steam. And then it was kind of, it was growing. But when in 1948, when Israel became a nation again, that's when it just took off. Because now, because, because if this uh, 70th week is about Israel, and it's about Jerusalem, and the Jews are not in Jerusalem, then it's hard to make a case this is going to happen. But once they became a nation in Jerusalem, then it really kicked off. 
It's one of my favorite scenes in the West Wing. It's hilarious. The aide for the president gets him like a 1930s map of Palestine. And they're like, you can't hang that up. It doesn't recognize Israel. He's like, well, there was no Israel. Yes, there's people are going to be upset. But well, there was no Israel to recognize. Mm. Yeah, that's all. And it's just like he's like losing his mind over the fact that it doesn't matter. It didn't. There, and so I just I just think about the fact that we just allowed that moment and then basically America going, you're good to then define eschatology. Mm-hmm. It's and it's, you know, it's really exciting and it's yeah. fascinating. And uh, it when you start reading the Old Testament prophets with current nations in mind, you know, you start tying things together. It, it sounds really great and it's, and it's persuasive. Yeah. I just think it's wrong. <laughs> I think it's misunderstanding the text. So, okay. You wanted to come back to, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but you had mentioned the Prince issue. Yes. Um, so is this where there's going to be a split or they think it's Satan? Uh, is yes. that what we're talking about here? So in verse 24, Five, Messiah the Prince is mentioned. What does your translation say? Anointed one, the ruler. Okay. So, and then in verse uh, 26, is it the prince who is to come? The anointed the one will be cut off and will have nothing. And then what's the next phrase? Uh, the people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so at least there is consistent. So whether it's prince or ruler, mm-hmm. uh, the, the point is it's the same same word. So um, Messiah, the prince, most agree that's Jesus. Some are arguing that there is a technicality in the Hebrew based on the accents that that's not referring to the Messiah. It's not messianic. Mm-hmm. Um, I because of the way Jesus refers to this passage, I believe it absolutely is Messiah. So that's that's how I'm taking it. Okay. So at the end of the 69th week, then the Messiah is going to show up, and he's called here Messiah the Prince. Then after the 62 weeks, verse 26, the Messiah will be cut off. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's the cross. And he will have nothing. He, he was you know defeated. He was empty, at least for a moment. And the people of the Prince who is to come. So... Uh, the dispensational view would say that is the Antichrist who is going to establish his covenant for seven years and take advantage of the Jews and persecute them. I don't think so, because this prince is the one who's bringing the desolations and so on, as I'm going to try to show you from Luke, he's talking about 70 AD. Mm -hmm. So the two options that leaves us is it's talking about Jesus again, the people of uh, of the prince who is to come means Jesus using the Roman armies. Mm. So the prince here would be Titus, the Roman conqueror who came down, or it could be talking to Titus, about Titus himself. So John being the guy who constantly mentions the Antichrist, I think about first John a lot where he says the Antichrist, but many have come. And right. so um, Based in the context of what's going on there, you know, Gnosticism all through the book of John, obviously they're fighting that or first John, excuse me, is anyone who is preaching a false gospel trying to get you away from Christ. Is that an antichrist? And so do we put too much into that title, even in Daniel or, or Revelation? Yeah, because we totally rip it out of context. Imagine or think about first century who cares about the Messiah in the first century. Who, like, you mean in a good way or in a sarcastic way? Who cares? Both. 
Okay. Well, in a good way, it's the church, Gentiles and the Jews who, you know, I just got done reading Romans. So the God's people who have been converted to Christ, but you know, Rome has a problem with them because this new religion's popping up and the Jewish leaders obviously are persecuting the church. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Could very well be what mostly what the book of Revelation is about is the Jewish people be persecuting uh, the Lord's people. So, um, yeah, that's that's what's going on. So everyone cares one way or the other. Would would unbelieving Gentiles really care that much about this Messiah? No, that's my, true. No, no, my point would is, not. yeah, right. My point is John calling him the anti-Messiah mm-hmm. or those, those people are the anti-Messiahs. He's got to be, ha- he's got to have Jews in mind, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are opposed to Jesus coming in the flesh. Remember whoever denies that he has come in the flesh. This is the anti-Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's got to be Jews. He's talking right. about. So yes, we extrapolate that 2000 years later. And we think the antichrist is somebody who's coming down the road no, those were the Jews of John's day who refused to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah. Yeah. Okay. So I believe the prince here is either another way of describing Jesus and the people of the prince is the Roman armies who are going to come destroy Israel, uh, Jerusalem, or he's referring to Titus himself, the, the people of the prince, meaning the captain, the ruler who's going to come and bring destruction. Either way, mm-hmm. uh, it, it fits. And he's going to come and desolate the uh, the city so the other big thing and this is what i was referring to the seven-year tribulation verse 27 read uh, read the csb uh verse 27 sure he will make a firm covenant with many for one week but in the okay. middle of the week yeah okay so this is where again they get it he will make a firm covenant with many for one week so the antichrist is going to come and he's going to make a covenant with israel and they're going to sign up for that covenant and then he's going to deceive them and uh it's going to be awful for the Jews, right? Mm. So the word for, the preposition for, is not in the original. Mm. It's not in the Hebrew. It's not in the Septuagint. It's not there. Literally, it says he will establish a covenant or make firm is fine. Covenant with many one week. That's huge. Yeah. Because my view what my interpretation in the flow of the context for me says if you're going to put a preposition in there the best one is during Mm. during that 70th week when the messiah has come and he's cut off that's when he's going to make a covenant with many that's the new covenant and this is why uh language is so important because if i this is my little bit of hebrew i understand is when it says eve gave birth to a son it doesn't give his name it says the lord they were expecting their first child basically to be the Messiah, which is kind of why it's important to mm-hmm. know languages and understand that. Like you were saying, the 70 weeks is not literally 70 weeks. It's not what it says in the original. So, man, it's easy to see how people could be so easily swayed. Now that you're explaining, I can be like, oh, I get why dispensate now. I can see that right now that you've yep. explained it. To, I always thought they're crazy. But if you're literally reading <laughs> this through, I'm like, it's not that crazy if you're going just by what these translations say. Like there's well, some stretches, but yeah. It can't be the new covenant right. if it's for one week. Right. Because that would mean the covenant only lasted a week, which mm-hmm. is seven years. Yeah. That four, that little preposition makes all the difference in how mm-hmm. you interpret this. So right. if you scratch that out, 
then you got to figure out what it, what he's saying. He will make a firm covenant or establish a covenant with many one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. That's the cross. So he brings an end to all the old covenant rituals and things. And he makes the new covenant during that week with many. And that many, I think, is alluding to not just Jews, but the Gentiles as well, because we know the new covenant is for all of us. So I'm convinced the 70th week occurred at the, the time of Jesus. And there is, and here's where people are going to argue again, because we want exact timing. But you got to go back over the passages we read last week. Jesus shows up and he does pronounce the end of Israel and Jerusalem. Remember, we read that. He, mm-hmm. he wept, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have taken you under my wings, but you would not. And remember what he said? Behold, your house is left to you what? Desolate. Desolate. I would have, I would have protected you, Jerusalem, but you rejected me. Mm-hmm. So your house is left to you desolate, intentionally grabbing this term from Daniel 9. Now, he didn't do it in that moment. He predicted it would happen within a generation, and it did. So we're, we're coming up on time. Let me, let's go to Luke 21, and let me go okay. through this really quickly today, and then we can decide if we want to, and depending on how, you know, if we get any feedback, maybe we'll uh, come back and redress I'm this I'm like, let's week. keep going. Let's like, I mean, not today, but let's just do a whole series okay. on this. Let's, All right. let's, let's do it. But with the, with the things that I've said, at least I want to get a few of these mm-hmm. verses from Luke 21 to, uh, uh, to see how it ties in. Man, there's like a lot Luke. of red here. All right, I'm kidding. <laughs> a lot of red here. I, I like Luke better than Matthew uh, f- to start with because Luke is, well, he's, a, he's, the, he's the detail guy. He's the doctor, right. and it, it just follows so well. So verse 20, well, I, I should back up and catch a little bit of the context. Uh, verse 7, they, the disciples, questioned him saying, teacher, when will these things happen? Mm-hmm. Well, what are the things? He just said, as for this temple, the beautiful stones and everything, the things you're looking at, the day will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. We talked about this last week. Whoa, just profound moment. They're marveling over the temple. And Jesus says, there's a a day coming when this will all be crushed. Now they should have known this was coming because they've read Daniel, but they were shocked. So they said, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he goes on and we'll come back and look at these next, next week. But for our purposes today, skip down to verse 20. But when you, remember who he's talking to? The Jewish leaders. No, the, or disciples. the, the disciples. I'm sorry, the disciples. Yes. When you disciples see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her, what? Uh, they recognize that it's destroyed, has come near. Yeah, the word is desolation. Yeah. Oh, yes, the, that it's, I'm sorry, that it's desolation has come near. That's what it has here, too. My apologies. I skipped <laughs> over that mi- word. For don't miss that. When you, mm-hmm. telling, telling talk, talking to the disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, he's not talking to a generation that is 2,000 years in the future. He's talking to his disciples. Right. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. The desolation that Daniel talked about. In fact, Matthew uses the term in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. He combines two of the words that we find in Daniel, right? Abominations are decreed. Desolation is decreed. He puts them together, the abomination of desolation. In Matthew, he says, let the reader understand. 
What he means is let the reader of Daniel understand mm. this is the fulfillment of Daniel. So, so when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies and recognize that her desolation is near, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains and those who are in the midst of the city must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance. Jacob's trouble, as the prophets call it. This is when God is going to bring his full and final judgment, his vengeance on the people of Israel. Remember, 77s have been decreed for your people and the holy city, and then he's going to bring it desolate. So that all things which are written will be fulfilled. All those prophecies of the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. 77s are decreed for your people. Distress is coming on this people, that's the Jews, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all the nations, direct quote from Deuteronomy 28 and the curses, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And cliffhanger, we'll save the uh, <laughs> discussion of what it means the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled for another one, because that's a huge uh, dispensational left behind verse. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. I was going to ask, cause that seems like a, a pretty big uh, weighty thing there, which is specific Gentiles, right? Till their time is fulfilled. What does that uh, mean and get, get into? So Doug, that's really good. Um, if people want to ask us questions. They can tweet you at Doug Gooden. They can uh, tweet me at Josh Copen. We'll, we'll try and get to them. They can post in the on the uh, Apple podcast and all that and YouTube. But I do want to ask then real quick before we uh, close, you keep saying, uh, and I don't mean this in an accuser, I think it's in a good way, is the dating of Revelation matters. So the reason I keep bringing that up is how much of what we're reading now matters to Revelation and how much doesn't. Because you could argue the destruction or what Jesus is talking about the people in front of him isn't end time like the last days the consummation of all things right aren't, aren't people going to say that about revelation it does matter but you're saying it would matter based on the dating right so that's well the dating is everything mm -hmm. uh in my view because if it was written before 70 a.d then you can see how the first 19 chapters fit very very well with the fall of jerusalem it just okay. fits perfectly. If it was written after 70 AD, then the first 19 chapters can't refer to the fall of Jerusalem because it's ancient history. Mm -hmm. Well, not ancient, but it's, it's right. in the past. So, and here's, here's the thing. And I, I had this discussion with my daughter the other day as we were talking about it. It can't mean for us something different than it meant for its original audience. Mm -hmm. So the original audience of, Dan, of John knew what they were, what John was talking about. We've got to figure that out. And the dating for, in my opinion, is what sways me one way or the other. And I flip flop all the time on, right. is it pre 70 AD or post? Well, and the church is there new, the church is there. He's condemning and saying, Hey, start acting Christ-like basically, you know, they understood the context the same way the church in Corinth understood what Paul was writing to them about the issues they were having. So I think that's important. Um, I once heard someone say uh, it's political cartoon to a degree. Um, 
the people at the time would have like all the cartoons we see now, Joe Biden or Mitch McConnell or whatever. We know what they mean when we see them. The book of Revelation would be the same thing. The people of the time would absolutely know the political cartoon of the day, what all those pictures meant. And so um, we shouldn't treat that book like it's something we can't understand or the church hasn't understood, nor should we be afraid of it to study it. Agreed. It's just, a, for me, the dating is the key to, mm -hmm. I, I don't think the interpreta interpretation is impossible. I think I understand quite a bit of it. I just understand it two different ways because I can't decide when it was written. You bring up the Biden uh, example. If someone a hundred years from now or 200 years from now is reading cartoons, it matters whether we're talking about Senator Biden or President Biden, mm -hmm. right? And so if you don't know that, then it's the, the, the humor and or the mockery is going to be uh, a little harder to understand unless you can figure out, is this talking about uh, one or the other? So that's kind of what we run into here and, and it's difficult, but uh, yeah. for what we've just talked about, the dating of Revelation doesn't really matter. All right. Well, what we want people to do is to listen to the previous podcast on 8070, then listen to this one. Uh, we'll keep addressing these things and we'll throw in some resources occasionally too on where to listen. Doug's got some sermons on this on crosstocrown.org. We linked to it in last week's. We should go ahead and do it this week as well. Uh, the Olivet Discourse and, and uh, was it also Daniel 9? Did you do both yep. of those? Together? Okay, yeah. that'd be great. And uh, I actually uh, wanted to go start listening to those myself so I could be prepared a little bit more. Um, you know, you grow up in an all-mill church and you kind of go, oh, okay. And if you go up in a post-mill church, you kind of go, well, that's what I, so because you trust the people who are teaching it and you look at mm -hmm. it and go, I see their argument, but I've been swayed by this one, but you've also been sitting under that same teaching of that for years. So it's important to just study it and learn it. And it's okay to disagree with your pastor sometimes. It's all right. That's right. And any pastor worth their grain of salt will say, don't take my word for it. Go read and go study it yourself. And that's what we want uh, people to do. Doug, uh, New Covenant School of Theology is a place where we will study this and interpretation and languages and things like that. Like you brought up the Hebrew, the Septuagint, the word for isn't there in Daniel 9, how important that is. Um, Four-week classes, $250 for the um, uh, Master's in Divinity and the uh, Certificate of uh, biblical what, theology, biblical theology, $50 to audit the classes, which is great. Uh, and that those are open to anyone, you know, men, women, whatever, take it and learn. Uh, and then if you're getting uh, the master's in divinity, we will work with you and your local pastor. So you don't have to move to Colorado Springs, et cetera, to get some practicum, to get some training, some counseling, some hopefully some preaching practice and things like that. Correct. Absolutely. That's the goal. Get them, get them practical experience in their local church. Right. And like we studied today, the, the joy of what we're studying today, especially if you read, no matter where you stand on the first, what, four verses of Daniel seven, Christ wins. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we want people to be what Doug with all things intentionally Christ obsessed in everything.